0: Well, we are in week three of our series called Christian Atheist, and you may be asking yourself if you, uh, maybe, may, maybe you haven't been uh, able to be here with us, we encourage you to watch online on YouTube, our, our YouTube channel, or you can download the message on your phone app or our website, but week three of Christian Atheist, what is a Christian Atheist? Well, we take... Nothing against atheists at all. Um, A lot of atheists are very, very well-intended and good-hearted people. And so this is not a bash on atheists at all. It's more a bash on those who call themselves a Christian and act and live their lives like God doesn't exist. And so an atheist is one who lives their lives as there is no God. They don't believe in any God, any form. And so a Christian atheist, again, is someone who calls himself a Christian, even believes that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, but lives their lives with a Christian name tag on, on them, and they live their lives like he doesn't exist. In The first Sunday, we looked at a Christian atheist, our people who say they believe in God but they don't know him personally. They don't know him intimately. How many of you know that you cannot grow in a relationship with your spouse or with your kids if you really don't know them? Some of you, that was your childhood. Your parents didn't know you. They just called you son or daughter and told you that they are the rulers of the house. And they don't care what you think, right? And you just wanted to be known by them. Parenting 101. Know your children. Because that is the key to a relationship with God. You can believe in God. But if you don't know him personally. You can't truly follow someone you don't know. Second week is we believe in God. But we don't fear him. And that fear is not like this haunted house, horror flick kind of fear. It's not driven by guilt or shame or condemnation. This fear is driven by loving God because he first loved you. Respecting God that he has all the power. He holds everything together. He moves His finger or his word is spoken and things happen. He is majestic and all-powerful and all-sovereign and all-just and yet all-gracious and loving. We talked last week about the pendulum of just God and condemnation and wrath God compared to just do what you want, God, and he still loves you and gives you grace, God. We need to fear God and how we do that is we love God because he first loved us and he wants a relationship with us. Can you believe that the God of the universe wants to know you and he wants you to know him and then we respect him and respect his authority, respect his power, respect his righteousness and respect his mercy. And then we reverently fear him. And when we reverently fear God, just like the heroes of faith in the Bible that we read, when they reverently fear God, they obey God. Not out of have to or need to, but a desire to please the one they love and respect. Next week, I'm so excited for this one, is we believe in God but yet we don't trust him fully. We don't trust him fully. And today is my favorite one out of this entire series, and yet it's my favorite, but it is going to be the hardest one to deliver because my prayer is that through this heaviness and us exposing the truth, and I'm going to try to just tell it as real as possible, to bring it to you that communicates in a language that you understand. And this language isn't necessarily going to be received by everybody in the same perspective. And all of us have been in this category one time or another. And that category is week three, and it's, I believe in God... I believe in God, but I'm not all in for God. I believe in God, and I love going to church, but I don't want to be called a Jesus freak. I don't want to be a fanatic. That's not for me. And here's one that God spoke to my heart this week for me. I believe in God, and I know God, and I love it, don't you, when Jesus walks on the water in my life. Oh, man, I love it when Jesus shows up, but I don't want to get out of the boat. (laughs) Right? Jesus is walking on water. That's awesome. I'm going to stay right here. I'm comfortable, and Jesus, you can talk to me right here, and you can do what you do, but I'm going to stay here. And not step out of the boat to pursue Jesus. Ouch. But it's the truth. And, and, and look at this. We, we see Peter is the one that got out of the boat. This was before he rejected and denied Christ three times. But after Jesus was dead and buried and he rose again, Jesus, Peter, and the disciples are right. Back where they were when Jesus found them the first time. Let me tell you something. You think Jesus can't come back to your mess after you've went back to it a hundred times? You got another thing coming. Jesus pursues you so recklessly, just like Peter. Jesus is r- risen, and Peter saw the empty tomb and knows that he's alive, and yet he's still out fishing. And when he sees Jesus on the shore and he hears Jesus' voice, something changes. And he doesn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumps off the boat into the water to see Jesus. Why? It's because he believed in Jesus. He knew Jesus. But now that he was risen, he feared Jesus. And now Peter wanted to prove that he was all in. For Jesus. So let me ask you, are you all in? We're going to find out, and there's going to be some hard content, as you already know, stepping on toes, and that's okay. Just know my heart is not to pour out condemnation. I'm not judging any one of you, because of you, the person that I need to judge is my own heart, is because I've been here. I've been where we're going to go, and I don't want to go back This is not to bring guilt or shame of your current circumstances. This is just to tell you that grace is waiting for you to turn away and turn to Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at someone who believes in God, but lives their life like he doesn't exist. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, and there's some Bibles that we have in the flaps in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, take one. It's yours. You can look on your phone app. You can look on the screen. Revelation 3 is the, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And chapter 3 is three chapters in. I want to give you just a little bit of context, context to Revelation. Revelation is seven letters that Jesus is speaking to John the beloved, his disciple, while he is exiled for his faith in Jesus on the island of Patmos. And it's seven letters to seven different churches, or some say it this way, it's one letter, Revelation is one letter to seven churches. And Jesus, what he does with these Six out of seven churches is he starts with an affirmation. How many know criticism is much better received when there's affirmation first? (laughs) You're doing a great job, but... (laughs) So Jesus starts out with, you're doing this well. You're loving people. You're doing this, and you're doing this, and you're fighting the good fight. But I have this against you. And he challenges... And criticizes each church. However, the seventh church, or one of the seven, Jesus doesn't do that. He literally immediately goes for the jugular. He skips over the affirmation and goes to, this is what I have against you. And that church is the church we're going to look at today. And that church is called Laodicea. Can you say that with me, Laodicea, Laodicea. I want to give you a little bit of history of Laodicea so that the words that Jesus gives this church starts to come alive and we understand it more, and then we can apply it to our personal lives. So Revelation 3, or no, I'm sorry, background history of Laodicea. Number one is they're a very, very, very incredibly wealthy city. 35 years ago, before Jesus wrote this letter, their city was destroyed by an earthquake. And yet, because they were so wealthy... And had everything they needed, they rebuilt. And they rebuilt even better than it was before. They had ginormous hotels and huge, massive, incredible shopping centers. And they had glorious theaters and huge stadiums and large public baths, which we don't have today in our culture. But they were a big deal. And if, if you want to imagine Laodicea, think of Dubai today. Or think of somewhere like Las Vegas. That was Laodicea. They had everything they could imagine for life and more. They had it all. And Jesus says this to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And here's Jesus speaking now. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Ouch. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, Laodicea but you do not realize that you are wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor, blind, and naked, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden when they realized their sin. Here I am. So he, end, he, 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 he drops this bomb, but he ends with hope. I love it. Jesus never ends with condemnation. He always ends with hope if we would just pursue it and receive it. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He says, I know your deeds. He's not saying, I know what you say you believe. He's saying, I know how you live your life. I know the deeds that are a byproduct in your life of your heart. I know the way you live. You see we like we like to ignore the fact that how we live our lives reflects on what we truly believe. You agree? How you consistently live your lives outside of Sunday morning really gets to the heart of what it is you believe. Because what we believe and what we know is true and what we value is what we prioritize. And what we prioritize is what we invest in. And what we invest in is how we think. And what we think is important. And then we begin to believe that. And we say that. And we act on that. And so Jesus is saying, I know how you live your lives. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one. And do me a favor. Can we just take a vote right now at ECC? How many of you absolutely love hot coffee? A fresh coffee. Cup of hot joe. Amen. There's a cafe in the back. I don't mind if you get up right now and go. How many of you like ice cold coffee? Oh, yeah. Only about five of you? Well, Daniel, I think we need to rethink iced coffee at the cafe. No. (laughs) Yeah. Now, for the record, how many don't like coffee at all? Okay, that's okay. We're not judging you. Now. How many of you love a cup of coffee that was sitting out for 8 hours or more and is absolutely lukewarm? How many of you would just enjoy that cup of coffee? Yeah, I didn't think so. Now, <laughs> room temperature coffee is disgusting. Is Gross. Patricia, just stick with me for the message here. I may judge you. So here's something interesting about Laodicea with this hot or cold thing that I think will start to make more sense of why Jesus is using this illustration to the church and to the people in Laodicea. Number one is they had challenges back in that day of getting hot and cold water to their city. So what they did, because they were wealthy and way far advanced than any other, they would put pipes underneath the ground that would send the hot and the cold water from the different springs and it would be there fresh. Now granted, they did not have a microwave, they did not have a stove, they did not have a refrigerator to keep the cold cold and the hot hot. So they had this system, especially at religious festivals. Everyone would come in from everywhere to give their personal religious sacrifice. But one of the traditions was, is before the sacrifice, you would get either a hot or cold drink to prepare your hearts for the sacrifice. And so if you were really important, and you had the mullah and you had the wealth and the status, and you were noble, and you had power, guess where you went in the line? You were up front, and so you would get your hot drink hot. And you would get your cold drink cold, whatever you prefer and whatever you ask for and pay for. You get that. But if you weren't important, and you didn't have much value and you weren't successful and you didn't you weren't born in the noble generation line you were in the back of the line and so you didn't get a drink that was cold you didn't get a drink that was hot you got a lukewarm drink so when people read these words from Jesus they know exactly what he's saying They're saying, oh my gosh, Jesus is saying you have put Jesus in the back line of your heart. That he's not important to you. That he is not of value to you. You have put him in the back of the line. He's not getting the hot of your life or the cold of your life. He's getting the scraps. And Jesus says, I don't work that way. You can't serve two masters. You see, in the line of our hearts, we're putting everything that we deem important and for us and our needs and our wants and everything that Laodicea offers. And Jesus is in the back line. And Jesus says, I don't do lukewarm and I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. You see, it's when we say we believe in Jesus But we act like he doesn't exist. Revelations 3 verse 16 says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So what does that mean before we buy into this lie of condemnation and guilt? Spit really means to spew. Remember Wayne's World? (laughs) That's all I got to say. Spit or vomit. It, it, It... By the way, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer. If your stomach, if you're a light stomach person, you may want to get up and go to the bathroom because I'm going to give an illustration that may make your stomach stir and that's okay. Spit spit or spew to vomit. Get this, it means to utter rejection. Utterly rejection, supremely repulsed. Now, let me ask you, if you ate a bowl of rotten cottage cheese gone bad. Now, some of you, it doesn't even take the rotten part. Cottage cheese is just going to do it for you. What's going to happen, y'all? You are going to run as fast as you can to the bathroom, and you're going to grab a bucket because it's coming out all ends, and you got a plug. Hello? Come on. I'm just being real. We're a church, we want real people, right? Your body is going to reject that rotten cottage cheese. You're, gonna, you're, you're going to utterly reject it because your body is supremely repulsed with it and it wants nothing to do with it. Let me ask you this, if the cottage cheese doesn't work for you, let me ask you this, have you ever grabbed a cup of what you thought was what you wanted to drink and you went to drink and it was something totally different? Yeah. You spit it out and if you swallowed it, it's coming back up, right? Let me even say this. Some of you are gonna, some of you are gonna catch this. Maybe maybe in your day or, you know, someone who chews tobacco. Oh, there's spew cups in your flap in front of you. Come on. I know ladies are repulsed, but guys aren't laughing because they know it's true. And you forget? Yeah. Repulsive. Repulsive. This is what what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you claim to know me and follow me. And with that comes expectations. Expectations of pursuing me and loving me. And so I go to drink that, and it's not what I expect. And he's going to spit that out. He's supremely repulsed. When you don't show any passion for him at all, he's in the back of the line of your heart. When you're apathetic... Continuing prioritizing everything else but him. When you're comfortable with your stagnant pursuit of Jesus. When you're just going through the motions and you're going to just fit him in when it's convenient. When we say we are followers of Christ and we know that he's expecting a life devoted to him. But when it's anything other than a devoted life to Jesus for what he's done for you, he says, I'm supremely repulsed. It makes my stomach upset. That's not who I died for. Have you ever heard of an oxymoron? If you're pointing to someone, you don't know the definition. Oxymoron is you take two words. Some of you got that. Two words that are opposite of each other. And you put them together and it's an oxymoron. Like this. Act naturally. What? How how do you do that? One of my favorite, hell's angels. What? That's an oxymoron, right? Found missing. How can you be found missing? I don't understand. Deafening silence. Deafening silence. One of my favorites, if you like seafood, jumbo shrimp. Huh? And some of your favorites is going to be this Microsoft works. (laughs) Some of the time. (laughs) Sorry, I have to give that to Greg Rochelle because he came up with that. And yet, the greatest of all oxymorons in the history of the world is lukewarm Christian, lukewarm follower of Jesus, lukewarm disciple of Jesus. Christian Atheist. And so with the remaining time that we have, we're going to look at seven common qualities of those who would be considered lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christian is a made-up term, as we see in Revelation 3. I just want to let you know. It doesn't say lukewarm Christians. It says lukewarm So can a Christian be lukewarm? You need to decide. Because as we're going to see, Christians who are all in, lukewarm is not in their vocabulary. So let's look at the first quality. And again, I'm going to give another disclaimer. This is not bringing condemnation or guilt. But something needs to change if you currently find yourself in this category. Number one, lukewarm Christians crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. They're your worldly people pleasers in life. I want to know what you think about me. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? How do I look? Am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job? Hey, you didn't notice I cleaned up this. Hey, this, this, this. Do I look okay? Does this da, 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 da? Me, 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 me. And we want approval and acceptance. And some of us, our identity is based on our approval and acceptance of others. I lived that life for years. And now I'm fighting that and learning more and more and discovering my true identity in Christ. Not people pleasing. Jesus said this to those who just want to be approved by others. Even to the point, listen to this, this is for somebody, even to the point where your need for approval by others will allow you or drive you to conform your morals and principles just to be liked. And Jesus says this, down on the screen in Luke six twenty six. woe to you when all people speak well of you. Story of my life, Of I longed for that. And it says it this way in the New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowd? You see, if you are an all-in follower of Jesus, you will not be liked by many. Because the first followers of Jesus, all lost their lives for the sake of Christ. So when you are all in for Jesus, you're not going to have everyone speak well of you. And that's probably something to learn to celebrate. Not everyone liked Jesus. Lukewarm Christians crave and live for the approval of others, not from the approval of God. Number two. This one stung me. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith in Christ. What happens? We get paralyzed. We buckle up. We feel like we don't know enough to share. We feel like we don't have the right words. But I think even more, we feel weird. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want... To be rejected. But really, one thing that I've had to understand, friends, is all that's true. But the heart of it, the heart of it is this. We don't truly believe in the power of the gospel that can change a life. Because if we truly believed in the power of the gospel message of Jesus, we would be shouting it from the mountaintops. We would be telling everyone like we had the cure to cancer. Because the power of the gospel is the cure for all hopelessness, it is the cure for sin. It is the cure for guilt and shame and condemnation. It is a beautiful message that needs to be shared with passion and compassion. And when you're all in for Jesus, it just is going to flow out of you to tell people how much you love Jesus and how much he's changed your life. What we're supposed to be doing, but if we're lukewarm, Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus says it this way. He says, if you confess or acknowledge me before men and women, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you are ashamed and cannot confess and acknowledge me before men, I will deny you in front of my Father by saying, I don't know you. Lukewarm Christians just don't have any urge or passion to share the hope of Christ that can change a life. And I would even say those lukewarm Christians, probably their life, they haven't experienced that life-changing power that comes from only Jesus and the Holy Spirit entering a person's heart through believing and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Third, this one's a heavy one. Just giving you a warning. <laughs> Lukewarm Christians rationalize their sin from the front of the room all the way to the back. Just give me your attention. I've been here in my life way too long. And what we do with rationalizing our sins is we rebrand our sin. We rename our sin so it sounds a whole lot better, right? And we can live with ourselves if it just sounds livable. And now we live in a culture that embraces the rebranding. Let me give you an example. Adultery is no longer called adultery. It's called an affair, And we talk about fair and on the TV and all just in our normal language, it's an affair. Not a big deal. When you say the word adultery, whoa, 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 that's in the Bible, right? Premarital sex. We call it hooking up. Sounds a lot better than premarital sex, does it not? Anyone got a pin? <laughs> Pornography is now accepted and approved, and it's called adult entertainment. 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 Profanity is called adult a language. Adult language. So, son, you cannot say what daddy's saying. But when you get an adult, you can do whatever you want. And now I'm really gonna step over the line, but I really feel like I need to say this. And we as a culture have taken the word murder and we call it abortion. It's okay, abortion. sounds a lot better than murder. Now, if any of you have been in that situation or know someone or you yourself had an abortion, know that Jesus's grace is right with you. There is no sin in our lives that Jesus can't forgive and cleanse. That's the beauty of the gospel is we look at sin because we, have to, we can't rationalize sin anymore. Satan loves to just put it in a beautiful package with a bow so that you will f- you, you'll be okay with it. But then we've got to call sin what it is, but then we've got to give it to Jesus and allow him to take it. That's the hope, that's the beauty of it no matter where you find yourself in this is that Jesus took it on himself on the cross. And so what do we see when we rebrand sin? We see it every day. People say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I could have done this, but I'm not doing that. It's my life, I can do what I want. Who are you to judge me? It's not your business, stay out of my life. Lukewarm Christians rationalize their sin. Number four, lukewarm Christians think more about this life on earth than eternity in heaven. They're consumed with the things of the earth. This guy named Paul, who wrote the majority of the Gospels, the majority of the New Testament, excuse me, he knew God. He loved God. He respected God. He feared God, and he was all in. And you know what he said? To live is Christ, Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What? That's that's absurd, isn't it? You don't hear people saying that. He's saying to live is Christ, meaning that every breath I have, I'm going to reflect Christ in everything I do. But to leave this earthly body of sorrow and pain And to go where there is no sorrow, no pain, no tears, absolutely everything is perfect and restored with Jesus, I'm all in. And what do we hear people say on earth? I don't want to die. No, God, no, I don't want to die. It's because our eyes have been blinded to the glorious message of heaven. Jesus didn't just come to die for your sins. He came to die for heaven in you. That's why he came. And I can't tell you, December, every Sunday Sunday in December, if you can be here, be here. Because Dennis, the teaching elder, and myself, we are so excited. We're forming this original series called With Forever in Mind. And it's all about Heaven. Because our gift to you this Christmas season is for you to understand the truth about heaven. Because if you don't understand the truth about heaven, you don't understand how incredible it is. You're not going to desire it. And if you don't desire it, you're not going to pursue it. So we're consumed with the things of the world. Mine, 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 mine. This is mine. I'm going to store up for this and it's all about the future. And lukewarm Christians think more about life on earth and life in heaven. Number five, they only turn to God when they're in a bind. We believe in God and we love the benefits of believing God. But when things are good, things are good. It's like the elf on the shelf. When things are really, really good, it's fine, he's there. But man, when it's really, really bad... My kids aren't okay. I went to the doctor, not good. My car's dead, not good. My bank is empty, not good. I lost my job, not good. God, I need you. He comes in like a flood and he blesses you and he, and he, and he forgives you and he lifts you up and then you're good again and uh, God, I don't need you. Lukewarm Christians don't understand how it breaks God's heart that every time you come to him, you just need him and you need something from him. How many marriages would last if the spouse just came to that person when they're in desperate need all the time and not come to bring something to the marriage? Lukewarm Christians only call on God when they need something. Number six, lukewarm Christians will give when it's convenient. I love y'all. <laughs> just so you know. This is hard for me too. I've gone through every category of this. Now I've had to lay it down and say. Jesus forgive me for not being all in for you. Man. When the church brings up the money word. It's like God is just chasing them down. With an offering basket. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But we need to understand that everything we have is God's. And all lukewarm Christians think of is their stuff. Lukewarm Christian says, all that I have is mine. Mine, mine, mine. And lastly, number seven. Number seven is lukewarm Christians are not much different from the rest of the world. I hope this breaks your heart because it breaks mine. Let's be honest. Most Christians, especially lukewarm Christians, watch the same movies everyone else watches, buys the same stuff everyone buys, same filthy language on the golf course as anybody else, same morals. And principles as everybody else. Raises their kids like everyone else. They get divorced just as often as as everybody else. Why? It's because we're just like everybody else. It's comfortable Christianity. The first week was cultural Christianity. The second week was customized Christianity. And this week is comfortable Christianity. I want all of God, and I want all that he has for me, but I don't want to follow what he wants me to do. I want enough of Jesus to get me into heaven and to keep me out of hell, but not as much, not so much Jesus that it makes me into one of those freaks and fanatics. Jesus calls this person lukewarm. And it makes him want to vomit. It repulses him. And here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. In America, it is so easy to be lukewarm, is it not? We have everything we will ever need. We have it all. And it's so easy to put the Christian name tag on and just drift to lukewarm. Because everything's at our reach. You go to China... And you go to South Africa, it costs them something to be a Christian. Read the history stories of towns that were ransacked and attacked for being Christians. People living underground for years because they were a Christian. It costs them something. So anywhere in China where it costs them something and no one's a fan of them, if they dedicate their lives to be all into Jesus, there are no lukewarm Christians in those areas because it costs us something. And so let me ask you, what is, what is, what is holding you back? What's holding you back? What are you not wanting to give? And once you identify what you don't want to give, let me ask you, Is does that compare to the glorious message of what Jesus offers us? I'm going to show a short video and then the worship team is going to come on up. But beforehand, I want to, I want to read Revelations 3.20 to you. It says this, Here I am, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. When you're all in for Jesus, this is what your life will begin to look like. You will crave acceptance from him and only him. You will share him. It's on the screen, the last slide. Excuse me share him whenever and wherever possible you will long to be with him eternally in heaven this world is not your home you will give radically and generously and fanatically you will seek god faithfully and grieve over your sinfulness and you will be different and set apart and then finally i want to think want you to think on this as we go forward in response worship revelation Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Other translations say you've left or abandoned your first love. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Are you all in? And if not, why? And compare that to the free, incredible, forgiven life that Jesus offers. You see, salvation is free. Salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. But to follow Jesus will cost you your life. And it's a beautiful life because this life on earth is not our home. What's holding you back? Watch this video and encounter and experience and engage with your heavenly Father.